welcome to Fresh Pressed for June 16th, 2020. My name is Gabe. And my name is Andrew. This is a show about music uh, where we talk about uh, new tunes and, well, I don't have a joke for this one because it's not really a joke. In light of the Black Lives Matters protests and the activism that's been ongoing around the United States, we decided that for the past two weeks, it would be inappropriate for us to self-promote and record something that is mostly for our own pleasure and really put it out online and come listen to our show, and which has felt somewhat irrelevant over the past couple weeks. Yeah, and that's not to say that it's become any more relevant now, but um, we wanted to get back into the show, and we wanted to do it in a way that was relevant and can be useful if you uh, have the time to to spend on the show, which uh, you don't have to. If you if you have if you have better shit to do, turn this off and go out and, and protest, please. But yeah, we decided to uh, come back with. Uh, focus specifically on racial justice and police violence. This is obviously not the first series of protests against police brutality towards black individuals and and people of color in the United States. Um, But we wanted to tie this week's episode back to a specific historical incident, probably the most recent culturally consuming national event um, until kind of this present moment. So we're going to talk about Rodney King and the LA riots and the national awareness of that moment in 1991 and 1992 as a way of providing some historical context and um, some excellent music and as a reminder that this fight needs to continue because there were these fights were being had, you know, 30 years ago, and it doesn't feel like much progress in any sense has been made. So I suppose the first thing to do, Andrew, is to provide some sort of historical background. So Rodney King uh, was a black man living in Los Angeles in 1991. He uh, is a paroled uh, man and still on parole. So, you know, being on parole in the United States, right, you have to abide by certain mostly bullshit rules about where you have to be and what you can do and shit like that. So one day in 1991, he's out uh, driving on the highway, speeding, under the influence probably, and he gets into a car chase with the Los Angeles Police Department. Uh, Eventually, they turn into a residential area and are pulled over. They get out of the car, and Rodney King is beaten violently by the Los Angeles Police Department um, and tased. The incident, however, the, the beating, was captured on video by George Holliday, um, just a local, um, and that footage ended up going national. It is something that's shocking to watch as a real life, as like an, a real life event. It is shocking, absolutely. As are all, every single time there's a video of police officers beating a, a citizen who is just trying to stay alive, it's shocking to the extent that, like, how can a human being do that to another human being? Um, and it's not shocking in that uh, it's almost expected. Like you said, like, the whole reason why this was a car chase with Rodney King was because he didn't want to get in further trouble with the police because he knew that this sort of thing was likely to happen because it happens all the time. So it's shocking to watch the video, 
but it's not shocking the fact that it happened. It's not surprising. Right, absolutely. It's not surprising. And this is a point that's been made and is being made by activists and protesters right now, which is how many instances of police brutality and violence are not captured on video. The aftermath um, is equally important, I think, um, in that eventually the four police officers in question were tried in 1992. Uh, The trial ended on April 29th, 1992, with three of the police officers being acquitted and one of them no verdict to hung jury, I guess. This immediately launched um, what are known as the 1992 Los Angeles riots, um, which are not solely because of the acquittal of the police officers who beat Rodney King. Um, there were other incidents that were happening that year that were stirring uh, quite a bit of emotion, uh, including the death of uh, like a 15-year-old girl, Latasha Harlins. Um, so this prompted quite a bit of civil unrest in which uh, several dozen people were killed um, in Los Angeles and various uprisings occurred in cities across the United States. So I think that's kind of the basic context for Rodney King at the time in 1991-1992. Right, so the track I brought this week um, is just titled Rodney King um, by Thurs. That's T-H-U-R-Z. It is a wrapped account of Rodney King's beating and th- that day um, in 1991. And is a rapper from Los Angeles, from Englewood. Um, no, uh, his birth name is Yannick Kofi. Um, so here's a, our first fun fact of the day, Andrew, um, which is that uh, Kofi uh, means boy born on Friday in Ghana. Mm-hmm. Um, so naturally, his rapper moniker is Thurs. Like Thursday. Oh, like Thursday. Yeah. And he releases all his music on Thursdays. Does he really? Yeah, he's currently releasing music, and he released a song this past Thursday. So um, he created this album that Roddy King off of, is off of, um, titled L.A. Riot, in 2011 uh, as a 20-year anniversary record of the Rodney King beating. Uh, so Kofi Thurs was originally part of a rap duo, UNI, uh, with uh, rapper Y.O., and then he transitioned on this record to doing just solo work, which he's done for about the last 10 years. He's been releasing a series of singles, um, but he hasn't put out a full-length album, I think, since 2014. Andrew, have you seen Fruitvale Station? I haven't seen Fruitvale Station, which is embarrassing. It's the story of a man who was killed by the BART police in Oakland at Fruitvale Station. One of the things that makes the movie so powerful is they follow Oscar Grant, who is the man who is killed by the BART police, um, on New Year's Eve of, this would be 2008. And 
Um, they, they follow him like that whole day and into the evening, just like living a normal life, kind of as a reminder that, as a reminder of like the normality of life and then how abruptly things can be destroyed by malicious forces, I, I suppose. And Thurs does something similar in this song, in Rodney King, um, which I think is really powerful. He opens up with like basketball, like just like having a good day hanging out with friends, you know, going for a drive on the freeway in like beautiful, sunny Los Angeles. And I think that sets the stage for a, a, a powerful juxtaposition, you know, when the cops show up. In general, this song and the album owes a lot to like 90s rap, kind of earlier hip hop. Um, specifically, you can hear a lot of like Ice Cube, for instance, in this song, who wrote and, and released a number of songs about Rodney King and the LA riots. Uh, and also, I think there's quite a lot of influence of like Wu Tang. Um, and you can hear a lot of that, both in the style of Thurs and his flow, and also uh, in the production, which is fairly raw compared to a lot of other music that was coming out at this time. Right, The big rap album of 2010 was Kanye West's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, which doesn't sound anything like this album. So this is kind of harkening back towards the era in which music was being made at the time of uh, Rodney King's beating. I think Thurs uses a pretty cool trick in uh, the production of this song. Um, there's a pretty marked change in the, in the beat and in the production when the story transitions from regular day car chase to the actual beating. And it becomes like, uh, maybe almost like a little overdramatic. It has like synth strings and synth vocals. Um, I, I think it works really well. And it's, it totally sh kind of shifts the balance of the song in a more intense way. This track and kind of that general idea of music as an empowering force is, for me personally, one of the reasons that I want to make sure that we still do this podcast. I think music is an important force for social justice and for change. And, you know, historically, and including in the present day, music is a uniting and driving force for a lot of these protest movements, right? Protest music in America is its own podcast, if you want, right? We could just talk about protest music for the next year. Protest music is a key part of, I think, American musical identity. So Andrew, you brought a very different style of music, but something that was more contemporary to the actual events. Yeah, very contemporary. So I brought a track uh, by Branford Marsalis 
and the track is called Simi Valley Blues. Andrew, what's the Simi Valley? Simi Valley is a city in California that was the uh, venue of the original trial of those four police officers who beat Rodney King. And the choice to move the venue to Simi Valley uh, was is pr- uh, pretty clearly one of the, there are, albeit many reasons, why none of those officers were found guilty because Simi Valley is, is considerably more white and considerably more conservative. So this song is specifically referencing the trial of those officers and the injustice that was carried out during that trial, both in the choice of venue and in the process of the trial and the verdict. It's uh, mostly an instrumental track, although it starts and ends with a clip of uh, some children reciting the... Uh, Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. God, you know, when we were when when you're a kid, the phrase like Pledge of Allegiance is just like a Pledge of Allegiance. Like it's just like this one word. It's like Pledge of Allegiance. You know, there's a Pledge of Allegiance. You do it every morning. Yes. Now, when I think about those words as a phrase, that's fucking insane. Oh yeah. And the whole thing is pretty insane. Yeah. I know that's not a hot take. No. But it's like, not. it's but, just so fucking ridiculous. But it's something that. It feels so insidious because it's something that you recited every day as a child. Right. And then and you have no awareness of what some of the words mean. You know, like you probably had a class where they taught you what indivisible meant. Yeah. And how it was not the same thing as invisible. Right. <laughs> or even what allegiance means. I I mean, yeah. I don't think we did learn what allegiance. I think you're right that I feel like I remember like teachers explaining what some of those words meant. Um, like what? What's the republic? Oh, that's like what does that mean? But I don't think I got allegiance explained to me. At least not in a way that would have maybe pointed to the insanity of that practice. Yeah, the, the well, they didn't teach you about allegiance in conjunction with feudalism. Anyway, um. It starts with uh, children reciting the Pledge of Allegiance, and then uh, the bass comes in and starts with the national anthem, and then sort of goes straight into the titular blues. Um, it just sort of like he runs up a blues scale, and there's a lot of bends, and then when it the song really starts, it starts with like a very classic uh, blues. Right, like the da 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 da, like that thing, like that's the blues, right? Yes, right. That's 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 a Robert Hurst on bass, and then you also get uh, Jeff Watts on the drums, um, who's pretty much like this simmering uh, chaos, sort of the whole way through. Um, it like boils over and then falls back a little bit you know like it, it's just sort of like the drums are a really wild uh, component of this um, and then of course you have uh, Branford Marsalis himself on saxophone um, who is sort of in between the like 
more straightforward bass line and the very chaotic drums, although definitely leading towards the... He does all this extended technique, right? Which is like just like not just like playing notes on the saxophone, but like, you know, you hear it. All the weird whiny noises that the saxophone makes and screechy noises. Um, and he really leans into that a lot. But when, if you listen closely, every time you hear him like lean into that and then fall back into standard playing technique... Um, he goes into some like incredibly bluesy little riff at the end of it. And it's usually just sort of an afterthought, but it's, I don't know, it's, it's very much like in that genre. This album that this comes from, which was released in 1992. So this was like, I mean, this was the same year that uh, Simu Valley was on people's minds. You know, this was the year that 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 mattered. Um, this whole album is sort of blues focused and the rest of it is not particularly uh, Rodney King focused. Um, but. I just want to mention, it is called I Heard You Twice the First Time, which is such a jazz title. It's an incredibly jazz title. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, and it has a very jazz album cover, too. There is a point um, late in the song, maybe like two-thirds of the way into it, where all three of the performers sort of lock into one uh, very bluesy jazz progression but then also pretty quickly after that um there's a very abrupt sort of dissolution of that uh into the chaos and then the closing lines of the pledge of allegiance which of course are with liberty and justice for all and then you can loudly hear all three of the performers say not Andrew, do you want to talk about your new song? Yeah. You want to keep doing some more jazz? Yeah, let's let's do a little jazz run here so that maybe I can put in, maybe I'll slot in a thing after you talk about uh, your track from Thurs that like if you don't want to listen to any jazz, skip to <laughs> this point in the in the podcast. No, jazz is jazz good. Music. No, you should listen to this. This is, this is great. I think both of these songs are really good. Um, I have brought a song by the jazz trumpet player Ambrose Akinmusseri and um, this is off his new album which is called On the Tender Spot of Every Calloused Moment again a very jazz title Um, and the title of this track is Yes
four S's. Did I hold the S the correct amount of time for four S's? Uh, I Nobody don't know. Knows. Discord cut out, so I'll have to leave that up to the <laughs> listeners. So I, I mean, okay. I should say, like, obviously I enjoy jazz because it's the second jazz track I'm talking about on this show, uh, on this episode of this show. But I'm also not, like, super up to date on, like, what's going on in jazz. I don't know a lot about jazz, but I enjoy listening to it. Um, and I know some things, some few things. But, like, I didn't know Ambrose Akinmusuri, uh before hearing his album that came out this weekend. Neither did I. But we should have. If but we, we should have, based on, what, yeah, based on what I've now read about him. If I knew anything about jazz, I would. Yeah, you, like, read his Wikipedia page, you're like, oh... <laughs> he's not like a famous old jazz musician like that everybody should know but as far as like new jazz musicians this yeah. is probably a good one to know. <laughs> right yeah exactly so he's a, a really excellent trumpet player and he's uh very well known as a current jazz musician um this album is so good um i don't know if you listened to the whole album gabe no only about like the first half um, I've been listening to it a whole bunch over the last day or two that I've that I've since I heard it for the first time. Um, I think it's really excellent. It's really varied um, throughout the whole album, but it it it's uh, incredibly powerful. So this album is sort of a tribute to the first jazz show that Akin Musiri ever saw, which is a wild thing for him to have seen because the first show unaware of what he was going to uh was uh the art ensemble of chicago which again i don't know a lot about jazz but i do know the art ensemble of chicago which is very avant-garde and wild and weird it's not how i would introduce someone to jazz you know if someone was like oh i'm gonna see some jazz i would point them towards something more traditional maybe um, but that was his first introduction to like seeing live jazz, which is pretty crazy. That is intense. Um, and so some of the other tracks are specifically in reference to uh, people from the art ensemble or it's or it's like uh, it's clearly influenced by this song. Yes, um, is just the one that I kept coming back to because of how accurately titled it is, because the title of the song is the mood that is conveyed by the song entirely. It's just like, yes. You know? Yes. Uh, on this track, we have Sam Harris on piano, Harish Raghavan on bass, and Justin Brown on the drums. There's also some synth in here, which I imagine is just added later to fill out. And also, I have nothing to base this on. But does that sound like bowed bass to you at the beginning, Gabe, or does that sound like cello to you? It's bowed bass. Is it bowed bass? It really sounds like cello to me. Yeah, I I also initially thought it might have been cello, but I'm fairly positive it's a bowed bass because it makes no sense for it to be a cello. There are very few jazz cello players, and one of them is not on this song. 
Right. Yeah. No, that's absolutely true. Um, it um, was also, and I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, logically it, it doesn't make sense. Uh, orally it sounded like cello to me, but you have a better ear for strings than I do. So I trust. I mean, it's unusual to hear bowed bass in general in a jazz context. And it's unusual to even hear much bass on the upper strings. On like the higher strings, the higher yeah, strings. maybe that's why I thought it was cello because like that can, can basses like go that high? All weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I I, uh, I love that choice that they made there, especially because of how beautifully um, the sound of that bass blends with Akin Musuri's tone on trumpet, especially at the beginning, but all throughout the song, you can just hear how much mastery he has over his breath and the use of that instrument. It's so incredible. And it, what the bass does is really like complements it so well. And I just, can't, I, I don't know enough about trumpets to say a bunch of things, but like the, the sound of the breath in his tone and the uh, like friction of the, of the bowing of the bass uh, just makes such a nice like alloy of sound. opening section of the song where you have the doubling and occasional tripling between the piano bass and trumpet and then like the piano and trumpet will like fan out off of that central note that the bass is playing is delightful yeah i mean all throughout the song and especially in the beginning is moving the bass and the piano and the the trumpet as well uh move stepwise a lot so like one note to the next note next to it, the note next to it, and that kind of thing. And going up and down and sort of uh, fading. And then like, uh, I'm making like motions with my hands. I It's sort of like ocean waves. You know what I mean? Like one thing is cresting and then falling. And then there's another thing behind it before that first thing is over. It just feels so smooth in that way. Um, and that's what I think contributes to that feeling of yes. <laughs> I also wanted to briefly talk about the Justin Brown on the drums. Yeah. Who uh, is like stylistically mirroring Akin Musare on the trumpet a little bit, um, especially in like the whole, I really think of the song as being in two sections, right? There's like kind of that opening section and then it changes in like timbre and tone. It becomes kind of brighter and a little more up-tempo. And um, during that second section, everything kind of opens up and the, the drums and the trumpet are playing these really like delicate little fills and pieces. Um, Justin Brown's work on the snare here. Like we think of snare drums as being like, bah, 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 and like, that's how they traditionally <laughs> are in like, uh, in like almost every other genre of music, but in jazz and in this song particularly, it's like its own really intricate, uh, precise sounds of the snares like rolling underneath this drum. 
it's just it it requires such i don't know such like mastery of the instrument to be able to do that look most musicians we bring on this show are very good technically at music yes that's not always obvious it's not always easy to hear that so it's enjoyable to me when i hear somebody who is technically brilliant do something that is very technically difficult and make it sound perfect do you have gabe this is a fun song yes that's how i feel about it it's a fun song and it's titled stone harbor by naeem off his first record under this moniker startisha brought the title track from this album it's also very good i also thought about bringing it but i've been to stone harbor so <laughs> is it is is it that's what did it for me are we talking about stone, stone harbor? harbor new jersey okay yeah so uh but first naeem that's spelled n-a-e-e-m now andrew have you seen that name in any indie music recently i assume you want me to pretend as if i'm like following along with you and not that i follow justin Vernon on twitter and he's been tweeting about this album for like a year ah shit has he really (laughs) yes i mean i figured you would have known but okay so naeem juan uh is the name of the artist uh primarily a rapper although you will note that he does not rap on this song no although he does elsewhere in the album um, he does have a standing working relationship with Justin Vernon of Bon Iver fame. Um, so I guess maybe if I were more in the Bon Iver circle, the, the Justin Vernon world like Andrew is, I would have known that... The Justin verse. The song Naeem off of Bon Iver's most recent album is the same. It's named after him. Um, he's also part of the group Gangs. Ga- gangs? How do you... What's the correct pronunciation of it, Andrew? I don't know. G A Y N G S. Gangs. Um, he also raps for the Avalanches. Who knew? Cool. So the story goes that he like was invited one year to perform at Eau Claire, which is um, Justin Vernon and Aaron Desner's festival in like Wisconsin, I assume. <laughs> yes. I don't remember. Um, and. They were like, wow, this guy's really good. And then they started making music. So Naeem previously uh, went under the artist name Spank Rock but decided for his most recent work to drop that moniker and just go with his first name, which I think was a good decision. I agree. There's actually a great little New York Times piece about this album and about him and about why he decided to change 
because spank rock really does evoke a very specific kind of music. And this album does not stick with that evocation. No. Um, so I think that was a wise decision because honestly, spank rock is a terrible, terrible name. Yeah, it sounds like a bad punk band f- made from high, made of high schoolers who got to the open mic and didn't have a name. Yeah. It also reminds me of Kid Rock, who is terrible. <laughs> uh, this song, Stone Harbor, is dedicated to his longtime boyfriend, um, Scott Ross, who is a filmmaker and I guess makes some of Naeem's music videos also. Um, because Ross used to spend summers with his family at Stone Harbor in New Jersey. So Stone Harbor makes, I guess, Naeem think of his boyfriend, which is adorable. And... You know, like, I like just, like, pure, simple love songs occasionally. It's just like, you're great. I can't stop thinking about you. Uh, Let's do this for a while. You know, like, it's just like, this is good. This is good. People are in love. How nice. How delightful. Every word I've read, I think of you. Every song I hear, I think of you. I don't know this is just a great song like there's a great like light airy bass line and it's like dance poppy and it's got some great synth horns and like bah, 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 and like you just like feel the joy here you know which is one of the other great things that music does for us it really can bring some joy the entire album is great by the way um andrew's reference to the title track startisha is also really good um about like remembering somebody from your youth when you were a child and wondering what they're up to very relatable yeah yeah anything i missed i mean it's a it's a great track we didn't really talk about the track at all i mean that's the thing with a track like this how much can you say just listen to it it's fucking great yeah it's fun you will be in a better mood after listening to it than you were before listening to it. i guarantee it i don't guarantee that. maybe cut that <laughs> So that is the meat of our show for this week. Um, as usual, we'll discuss some And now the potatoes. Favorite. Uh, anything else you're listening to this week, Gabe? Yes. First thing I wanted to highlight was um, a record by Jenny Beth of Savages. Um, at least her That's solo Jenny record. Beth. Her, her name spelled weird. Uh, called To Love Is To Live. It is intense and very very good and sort of the kind of album that i don't think andrew would like but the kind of thing i would like so if you like my taste in music more than you like andrew's taste in music you should listen to this record am i right i i mean you're right does anyone listen to this podcast prefer your taste over mine who knows um there honestly for me there wasn't like a ton of stuff that i really listened through this week 
um, other than the than the two albums that we've just talked about. But one other album that I really enjoyed was Room for the Moon by Kate N.V., um, who I don't know anything about, but... Isn't seems... she that character from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World? I don't know Scott Pilgrim enough to get the joke. Ah, uh, that's okay. Cut it. Um, she seems like a cool weirdo and... Or a weird Coolio. I mean, she doesn't seem like to be very similar to Coolio at all. But the album's really good. It's very cool. There were a whole bunch of tracks on my short list for this week. So I would recommend listening to that whole thing. If you like my music taste and specifically the more experimental, weird, percussion-heavy things that I'm into. Uh, one other album I wanted to mention. Again, like Andrew, I didn't find a lot really jumped at me this week. But... um. Gia Margaret released a record called Mia Gargaret. I, I think it's Mia Gargaret. Yeah. Mia Gargaret. Or could Mia Or is it it's, it's Jargaret. It should be no, Mia Gargaret. No, it can't Jargaret. be Jargaret. No. Well, it's it's Gia Margaret Mia Jargaret. Wait, fuck. Yeah, Shit. right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's really it should probably be Mia Jargaret, right? That would make more sense. That would make more sense, but it doesn't it's not spelled like it would be. Well, the I should have come along, but then you would have had the uh, the doubling of the I, which would have been problematic for yeah, or would have been it. Ma Jargaret, which does not work at all. No. Do we have a a an audio interview where she says it? <laughs> I, well, actually, Andrew, no, thanks for mentioning that because she uh, was a vocalist and musician. Um, however, this album contains no vocals on it, you will note, because she had surgery on her vocal cords and wasn't able to sing for like six months. So she made an instrumental record, which is kind of cool. I mean, not, not being able to sing, but like working your way around that and still putting out good music. That's cool. Yeah. As usual, you can follow us on Twitter, at uh, Fresh Press Pod. Um, we have a Spotify playlist with songs from the show forever but before we go we wanted to highlight an organization that we think is doing important work especially in light of black lives matter um so andrew and i wanted to highlight the okra project um and you can find their website at uh, www.theokraproject.com they are a collective that seeks to address the global crisis faced by black trans people um, by bringing home-cooked, healthy, and culturally specific meals and resources to black trans people wherever we can reach them. Um, so you, if you have some money to spare, please go and make a donation. See if you can help out. There are tons of other organizations that are hoping, helping specifically black trans folks um, w- that are worth your time seeking out. We just wanted to highlight this one specific project for being a little bit more national. Um, but also support your local organizations and chapters. And neighbors. And neighbors. And friends. And friends. Um, so we'll tweet out links to the Okra Project. We'll also leave that in our show notes. Yeah. If you want to, I mean, their website is theokraproject.com. Um, and if you want to donate directly to them, it's paypal.me slash theokraproject. So it's very easy to uh, support uh, a really great organization doing really important work. So we'll be back on June 23rd with more tunes and more grooves. 
thanks for listening. We know that today's show is probably a slightly tougher listen than the usual comedy focus we're doing, but we think it's important. Um, and if you have time, not only support these local organizations, but if you can, get out to the protests. You know, you can contribute in so many different ways uh, at the San Jose protests. There are people who can't can't march for whatever reason, not physically up to it. Um, not everybody can be on the streets, but, you know, people were driving around, passing out water and snacks. And people, there's all sorts of ways to be active online and call into your local, your local city council. You know, like, local government is important and can make a difference right now. So keep fighting, everybody. But for now, I'm Gabe. I'm Andrew. And you've been listening to Fresh Press. Fresh Press.